Hello and welcome everyone to the bonus this month. My name is Phineas Mir. Joining me is usually as is Raphael Caleb. Hello, Raphael. Hello, Finn. How are you today? Very well. Now, before we get started, we should just say that the boldness is all about grabbing your human rights, not just waiting for some well-meaning person to give give them to you. And also, if you would like to donate to 3CR in these COVID times and the boldness, you can do so by going to 3CR.org.au or ringing nine four one nine eight three double seven during business hours but Raphael we're very lucky to have a special guest join us today we certainly do is that today we are talking with Natalie Wade a lawyer specializing in human rights good morning Natalie and welcome to the boldness disability current affairs Good morning, Finn and Raph. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. That's... No problem. And of course, you are the, the vice president of the Human Rights Lawyers Alliance. Now, um, what what is what is disability discrimination? Well, what a great question. So, you know, it's, that is a question that I would hope that lots of your listeners would um intuitively know the answer to but they may not know the legal reason so disability disability discrimination is where a person with a disability is treated unfavorably because of their disability and disability discrimination can happen in all sorts of settings um and if it does happen in these settings then it is unlawful and they are places like work school services sports clubs associations and a host of other places where people with disabilities um may be treated unfavorably because of their disability you've kind of mentioned this but if you want to go, go into a little bit uh, more detail there are there are some good good stats if you've got them where where might people find where where might people um experience most discrimination so people with disabilities sort of based on uh complaints that are made to the australian human rights commission uh, but this is somewhat reflected in uh those um complaints that are made to state and territory equal opportunity commissions uh, is predominantly in the areas of work and education. Um, but that's, you know, there are other areas like um, public places and services where people with disabilities um, experience discrimination, but most certainly um, in work and education are really big ones. And there's a, there's a there's a Disability Discrimination Act, which is supposed to provide against um, disc- discriminations and pr- and uh, sh- shows that every, or basically enshrines in law that every, every attempt should be made to ensure that 
uh, people with disabilities are not discriminated against. What, um, that involves that involves uh, reasonable that that involves uh, making reasonable adjustments to uh, to to make sure people with disabilities aren't discriminated against. What are those reasonable adjustments? So that's a really good question. So reasonable adjustments can be any adjustment that does not cause unjustifiable hardship. So I'm using a little bit of legal um, terminology there. So the, the reasonable adjustment would be, uh, for example, a ramp to a building for a person who was using a wheelchair or a mobility aid. It could be uh, software on a computer for a person who was blind or had a vision impairment. Uh, it could be a hearing loop uh, for a person who was deaf or had a hearing impairment. Um, or it could be a whole range of uh, particular adjustments that are required for the person to be able to participate equally um, with others who do not have a disability. So the Disability Discrimination Act, as you say, Finn, um, attempts to uh, require that organisations or services or um, anyone who is um, required not to discriminate against people with disabilities under the Disability Discrimination Act provide reasonable adjustments for a person. Um, but we, the lawyers and, and advocates in this space, are very concerned that the current provisions um, have been interpreted in such a way by the federal court that the, the positive obligation to provide reasonable obligations is actually not working very well at law. Now, Natalie, I'm going to jump in at this spot. Now, what I'm ref let's get down, I'm getting down to ten tax here. It was a very, um, I think the basis of this was the case Dr. Scavalos versus the Australian College of Dermatologists. Now, I believe that the claim that he had against the Australian College of Dermatologists was based on that he actually had a phobia of sitting an exam to complete a qualification. Now, I'm not too sure what a reasonable alternative, what is a reasonable alternative to gain a qualification to practicing medicine is. What would be a reasonable yeah. alternative? What's a reasonable alternative? Sure, so um, in the case of Slavos, which you very rightly point out has caused much concern for many folks, um, his case turned on a provision that was available in the constitution of the college um, where it said that, um, and, and let, me, let me pull it up here, it said, and I quote, in lieu of the training program and examination, the person applying to be a fellow, um, may have such other qualifications and experience as the board considers adequate. So there was this clause in the, in the constitution 
that allowed for it. Um, Dr. Sklavos, to say, well, I don't, I don't feel able to sit the uh, the examination, and so I would like to rely on that provision. But of course, the court said, as we know, um, no, that's not not going to be how this works. Yep, and this is actually for the sixty-four Mandela question I've got. And if I was going to a doctor of any kind, no matter what it actually is, is that they, I would almost certainly say there would have to be some type of qualification or acceptance. The person actually was qualified to do it in case there was negligence or some type of accident when the person was actually particularly in medicine. I don't know how any insurance company could actually cover this. Right. So I think it's important to understand that Dr. Sklavos's issue was specifically about undertaking the examination. It's, it's not to suggest that um, he wanted to escape a really valuable and important uh, component of the program, um, but that he, he wanted to receive adjustment uh, to be able to be admitted as a fellow. So it's really important when we look at education matters, but also work matters, um, that we're careful not to be too black and white about the way in which people with disabilities can participate in those settings. And whilst I completely appreciate that it sounds wildly obvious that a person who has a phobia of a final written and clinical examination um, simply would not be able to be admitted as a fellow to a college of dermatologists. Um, what is really important to us as disability discrimination lawyers is that people with disabilities are provided with the adjustments that they need to be able to participate equally. So we need to make sure that Dr. Stuarmos, in this example, um, is, is provided with those adjustments so that he can uh, participate equally and equal participation could be argued to be an admission as a fellow to the college. Oh, look, so I can certainly, I can, I can certainly actually understand that, but it said, I honestly, as someone who's been involved with the disciplinary movement for over 25 years, I cannot get my head around this one way or the other. If that, how is if a person was going to go through on the basis that they had other qualifications to show that they might indeed be an exception to a board, how this can be done without undergoing some type of examination to show they were actually competent? I honestly cannot get my head around that one because I just don't get it. There would have to be some type of examination in one form or the other to show that they actually understood and could practice what they actually were studied for. And it has, I just don't get it. <laughs> yeah, sure. So Rath, I, I don't want to bore your listeners, but maybe it would be helpful for me to read 
uh, directly from the judgment of, of the full court in 2017, which steps out the three adjustments um, that were identified uh, by Dr. Sklavos. Would that, let's maybe yep. do that. I, I have to, you have to roll with that. Finn, we'll hear what the actual um, yep. the words were, wording of it was. Yep. Okay. All right. So, adjustment number one. And I'm just reading now from the judgment. Absolutely. So he, so references to he, uh, Dr. Slavos. He could have been assessed by a method that did not involve the use of examinations conducted by the college. Adjustment two, the college's fellowship examinations as they applied to Dr. Slavos could have been modified as set out in or by reference to Dr. Sklavos's correspondence requesting adjustments on the basis of Dr. de Saxe's recommendations or alternatively he could have been assessed using a combination of workplace-based assessments that would have allowed for an assessment of his competence to practice conducted in a manner that would minimise the symptoms of his disability. So what those adjustments tell us, uh, Finn and Rath, is that it's not about reducing uh, his competence in medical practice. It's about finding an adjustment that allows him to demonstrate his competence and skills. Does that better make sense? Well, okay, yes, and I'm going to take you up on this, um, Natalie, is that if it was an observation of competency, now my understanding is that Dr. Spavio does have a, did have a, um, it was a phobia of an examination. That means that if they were to be let's say, observed as on competency basis, surely that would compound what the actual phobia was. So the, the primary judge in the original decision and the full court on the appeal would agree with you that, that in fact, the, the state of Dr. Slavos's disability was such that no matter what adjustment could have been provided, he would not have been able to perform the written or clinical examination required by the college. Yeah, well, it's a, a, from a disability perspective, I'll go with one question here, Finn, and come back to you. Well, Natalie, I actually really would like to know about what would be a reasonable alternative to actually do an assessment specifically reference on how they could actually do an assessment without doing an assessment without the phobia being involved because I just don't get that one is that there has to be some type of I would like to think there's some type of assessment but I'd like to know how, what form that could take. Sure so Ralph for every person that that would be different and it's really important to recognize that Dr. Sklavos's case is, is seen for many people um, with disabilities that are trying to access 
education, particularly in professional streams where there is a requirement to sit written um, uh, assessments and the reason for which they cannot sit them can be things like learning disabilities or um, physical disabilities and whatever. Um, now, it's really important, I think, that we approach those situations, and, and this also bodes for, for Dr. Slavos, in a way where the content of the written examination is made available and the concept of testing his competence is delivered in such a way that it is accessible to him. Throughout the month of June, we'll be asking you, the listener, to support radical, community-owned media during our Radiothon. We'll be taking donations online, over the phone and in the station to help keep us going for another year. Independent community media is more important than ever, and we need your support to power community radio. The 3CR Radiothon kicks off in June. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au, call the station on 039419-8377 or drop in at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during business hours. 3CR Community Powered Radio. There are many ways that you can keep up to date with 3CR news, events and programs. With Facebook stripping content, it's a timely reminder to focus on the communication channels and platforms that the community controls. The 3CR website is a great spot to catch all your shows via audio on demand or scroll through our range of podcasts. It's also where you can sign up to our monthly newsletter, buy yourself a new t-shirt or check out archival audio from past broadcasts. Of course, we're also on Twitter at 3CR and Instagram at 3CR Melbourne. But don't forget our mighty AM band. Catch us anytime on 855am. Keep in touch. 3cr.org.au Welcome back to the Boldness Disability Current Affairs we are talking with Natalie Wade, Vice President for the Australian Lawyers for Human Rights. Now, over to you, Finn. Finn? Uh, so what, I guess, uh, having looked at the uh, Slavov's case a little bit forensically now, what, what, what are its wider implications on people with disabilities and the, and, uh, the Disability Discrimination Act. Yeah, thank you. So the impact of the Slavos case, if you say it too many times, you start to trick on your tongue, it, um, uh, is that for the right to a reasonable adjustment to be enforceable, uh, not only must a person with a disability show their disadvantage, by a failure to provide reasonable adjustments, but that failure to provide the adjustment must be caused by the person's disability. So can I give you an example? Certainly, that'd be great. 
So if a workplace will not provide the software that a blind person needs at work, that person must now show, as a result of this decision, the failure to provide that software is because they are blind. In practice, this would be nearly impossible to prove unless the workplace makes a clear statement such as, I refuse to make adjustments for you because you were blind. The effect of the decision is that it is now substantially easier for employers, schools, and other service providers to not make changes to existing structures and practices, even where reasonable to do so, to accommodate a person's disability. So it's quite problematic and, and we're calling for reform from the Commonwealth Attorney General. Look, I, actually, yes. I totally appreciate that about calling for reform about what those possible adjustments are. And I'm 100% that adjustments actually do have to be made. Like, for example, I would think that if a person needs, a person who is visually impaired or blind would need software to actually access that, that's a reasonable adjustment. But for the life of me, I cannot see on how saying that a phobia will exaggerate um, and any type of assessment, therefore I won't do it, how they can actually come up with a workable adjustment. I can come up with cases like, for example, in the case of the deaf and hard of hearing community, that I honestly believe that any organisation, a reasonable adjustment is to provide an Auslan interpreter and a transcript, alternative formats, but I cannot get my head around whatever type of disability it is, how some type of examination is going to be an exemption to prove otherwise. So I guess, you know, the only, the only way I guess I can, I can really explain it is, is if I have, have done in that the accommodations or adjustments that are made for a person would be such to equalise their participation. So, for example, and, and again, just speaking sort of hypothetically, um, if you were a person with a disability that had a phobia uh, of written examinations, um, then and, and all of this thin interact would be built on expert evidence. Like there would be psychologists involved and, and you know, functional assessments and things like that. Um, there most likely would be an ability for the experts to be able to pinpoint um, how that phobia played out and ways to um, create an environment where the phobia was um, in, in the most part neutralised. So for example, we see cases where um, people with disabilities might have uh, extreme anxiety about sitting exams at university, right? If we just move this away from Slavos and this talk generally. Um, and so, but that's very similar to, the, to what uh, Dr. Slavos experiences. And so for those students, an adjustment can be that they undertake what is the written examination um, at home in a, uh, you know, over a period of time where the stresses of arri arriving at a, 
at a university hall and uh, sitting, you know, on your own and, and you know, a group of people is all reduced. And so there are ways in which adjustments can be made for people. It would be very, it would be very individual, and it would be based heavily on evidence. Um, but but it but it can be done. And I think what is important is that we have a legal framework that allows it to be done. And that's really what we're what we're sort of um, calling for. Yeah, the, the so you've written a um, you've or uh, a, an alliance of forty six uh, disability organisations uh, have organisations have written uh, an open letter to Michaela Cash, the, the Attorney General. What recommendations uh, are you calling for? Yeah, so we put forward to Attorney General Cash for an amendment to be inserted into the Disability Discrimination Act, and that is a new section, Section 6A, which will really clarify that it is not necessary for there to be a causal connection between the failure uh, or proposal not to make reasonable adjustments and the person's disability. So we, we put forward some text in that letter uh, to Attorney General Cash, um, and we're hopeful that she will uh, move those amendments to the Parliament. Is there anything our listeners can do in terms of um, helping with this process? Yeah, absolutely. So um, if you would like to get involved in the campaign, uh, please reach out to uh, People with Disabilities Australia um, or uh, my organisation, which is Australian Lawyers for Human Rights, um, and we will be able to um, speak to them directly about the way in which they can um, better assist us with the campaign. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, there's bound to be listeners out there who will, uh, um, there, there's bound to be, be listeners out there who have experienced uh, the, or forms of discrimination that could easily um, could easily fit into what you got guys are try, trying to do, but even um, even just uh, harassing, uh, in, you know, uh, parliamentarians. I, I would suspect would be a good, good uh, or even the attorney general myself. Yeah, absolutely. And if people reach out to us and people with disabilities Australia or Australian Lawyers for Human Rights, we can provide them with uh, some text to send uh, to the Attorney General. Fantastic. Um, <clears throat> so uh, thank you, thank you very much for thank you very much for jo joining us to today, Natalie. Uh, and uh, good good luck with. Uh, Good luck with with your campaign trying to make the Disability Discrimination Act fairer for everyone with disabilities. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks very much for your time, Natalie. And thank you, Finn. And we will be back on the 15th of September. Keep listening to Complainer by Lovely. And if you don't think the revolution has started, you're listening to the wrong stations. It's 3PR, Voice of the People. Thank you very much. Cheers.